0: This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here. I, uh... I want to start today's show with an admission. I don't like Valentine's Day. I really don't, and and I'm also one of those uh, unusual people that dislikes Halloween, but I'll save that for another podcast. Basically, any holiday that tells you how you must spend your holiday is not a holiday I want any part of. Also, the reason for disliking this holiday today, and I promise I'll move past this quickly, I don't like today because it has the potential to exclude people. And to that end, I know it makes many people feel very bad and very alone. And in my view, I hardly think we need a national holiday to do that. We can feel sad and alone all by ourselves. Especially right now in this moment where many of you listening have spent large portions of the pandemic isolated isolated from your friends your family a lover and it's hard i know it's been hard because i've heard from many of you and many of my friends it's an unusually difficult period and it will pass but that passing that transition back into the world sometimes feels so far away that we think Maybe this is it. Maybe this is what it will always be. Sometimes it feels so far away that you forget what life was even like before COVID-19. I know I have certainly felt that way at times since last March. But that's why today, on this short episode of the show, I wanted to sit with Johnny Mathis, the voice of romance himself. Johnny is 85 years old and he's been actively performing since 1956. He's had several platinum gold records, over 70 songs on the Billboard charts. He's in the Grammy Hall of Fame. He's been mentioned in the same breath as Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, all of whom he considers influences. However, when the pandemic hit, his life on the road came to a halt. Now, Mathis, who... I admit has more energy than I do after two cups of coffee is at home alone. He's never married. And yet his music has been the soundtrack to so many people falling in love. Sometimes it's also been the soundtrack to people falling out of love. I think I've been in both of those categories. Maybe you have too. What I knew about Johnny before taping is that, especially in lockdown times, He likes talking on the phone to old friends and fellow musicians. And while I fit into neither of those groups, I thought, given the occasion, I'd give him a ring. So that's what I did. Hello? Johnny Mathis? Yes. How are you doing? Fine. (laughs) I'm curious, how has this year in the pandemic, treated you?
4: Oh, well, I haven't, I haven't sung. I haven't had a job. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, growing up, and I come from a big family, and my mom and my dad would tell me about things that were going on. We, shouldn't, we couldn't do certain things. And it kind of reminds me of that. I have to find other things to interest me, I'm a golfer. I've always played golf. Of course, you need somebody else uh, to play with. <laughs> so it's it's quite different. I decided a long time ago that when I did time off, I'll learn some French, I'll learn some German, I'll learn some Italian songs. And I did. It's kind of a, a challenge to not sit around and do nothing.
0: It's a huge challenge, which... I appreciate you doing something and talking to me this morning. You know, we're around the the Valentine's Day and obviously your music comes to mind but for many people they are, you know, like you, isolated. Have you felt lonely in this period?
4: I feel alone but not lonely. I have so much going on in my mind because of what I do, having to perform over the years. So many thoughts that come to mind. Should I take advantage of all this time and should I learn some more French? Should I learn some more Spanish songs? Should I call some friends of mine that I haven't spoken to in long periods of time? All sorts of things go on in my mind now that I have no preparation for performances or for recording sessions, that sort of thing. And so I do have a lot of time to conjure up in my mind. I think I'll call Roberta Flack. I haven't called her in a long time. I think I'll call. And then, and then you, uh, you try to find out whether they're living or dead. So it's it's kind of, I don't know, it's a little bit of a circus as far as my uh, conversations with other people is concerned. Yeah, you go through all these uh, machinations in your mind about, what will I do? Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. And mostly you end up, ending up calling my buddies and saying, hey, let's go out and hit the ball. Let's go play golf. Let's do something but once in a while you'll find yourself with 2 or 3 hours and uh, and you plan something and follow through with it and but it always requires conversation or situations with other people so you have to be always aware of that
0: when you were starting out were you someone that had big plans for themselves
4: you know i never did things happen and you Take advantage of them, or you don't. I come from a large family. I have six brothers and sisters. My mom and my dad were my best buddies. And I had lots and lots of things to do always with them. And so I never worried too much about my music because it was always present because of my recordings. I longed on so many occasions for some time to myself.
0: You said things happen and you either take advantage of them or you don't. And so I wanna go to a moment where something happened in your life. In 1955, 56, you're 20, 21 years old, singing on the weekends at a local club in San Francisco where an executive from Columbia Records Sees you perform.
4: All I ever thought about was singing. I was a high jumper and a hurdler on the track team at San Francisco State College, and uh, I had a lot of opportunities because I was pretty good as a high jumper. I was uh, little big buddies with a guy by the name of Bill Russell, who was a basketball player. We go to a lot of track meets, so I did a lot of stuff other than singing, but I always felt an obligation not only to my dad because he was my best pal, and he had been coaching me and confiding in me about his life, raising a family and trying to sing. He's also my best pal. We also fished and hunted together, uh, and we sang together. And I wanted to expand and try to, to make him proud of me musically. So when the opportunity came... To uh, to make my first recordings, I was over the moon. I called my dad, and uh, I think I remember him listening to the first recordings that I made, which were jazz recordings. And I had never really thought of myself as a jazz musician, except the fact that I was signed to Columbia Records by George Avakian, who's the head of jazz for Columbia Records. And it wasn't until a year later. After I'd made my jazz records, that I met a man by the name of Mitch Miller, who decided that uh, maybe I'd like to sing some popular songs.
0: Later that next year, in 1957, you are 22 years old, walking onto The Ed Sullivan Show to sing a song called It's Not For Me To Say.
1: It's not for me to say you love me,
0: it's not for me
1: to say you love me. Best. And press your lips to mine and dream that
3: love.
0: How does a twenty two year old process a moment like that?
4: I grew up and did all my learning and what I've been singing in San Francisco. And then I was transported to record in New York. The recording studio that I sang in, it was about one, two, three, four, five blocks from NBC and CBS. So I had walked by there many times to get to my rehearsals and my music. And I always saw the name, you know, Ed Sullivan and... The only television that I ever did prior to that was local television in theaters and places that I was going to perform. And I would go to the local television station and say, hey y'all, here I am, (laughs) that sort of thing. And so when I got an opportunity to sing on the Ed Sullivan Show, I mean, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because as a young kid, I had sat at home with my parents and my brothers and sisters and watched The Ed Sullivan Show, and uh, to actually appear on it was a revelation. And I was amazed at how tiny the studio was, uh, and how closely everybody was standing, and, and all the television cameras were right close to you. So it wasn't as nerve-wracking as I thought. It was just sort of, you were close to people and close to things, and you... Uh, he sang a couple of songs with the, with the orchestra. And so it was it was, much, it was a revelation for me in that regard. I, I thought I would be nervous because I, I do get nervous when I sing.
0: Did you think you did a good job that night?
4: I was satisfied that I remembered the words and <laughs> I didn't stop singing. I was so concerned about this big... Fantastic Ed Sullivan show was heard all over the world or the United States. And here I was in this tiny little studio in New York with an orchestra right next to me and the audience very close to me. And I felt very comfortable and very relaxed. I wasn't nervous. And uh, I was thrilled with the fact that I got it done I never realized, and I still don't to this day know whether it came off that great or not, but I know that I remembered all the words and and I sang.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, 60 years later, I just rewatched it. It came out just fine.
4: (laughs) Well, thank you very much.
0: You know, later that year on the heels of It's Not For Me To Say, you record what is arguably your most famous song chances are, but something you said once really struck me, which is that you were singing these big love ballads that touched people around the world, and at that time, you're a 22, 23-year-old kid who left his home in San Francisco for New York, and there is a youthfulness and a naivete to who you were at that point that comes across, I think, in the songs. And I'm wondering, now that you are...
4: Mature.
0: (laughs) Well, yes, now that you've grown up, at the tender age of 85, when you're looking at that 20-year-old, what do you see?
4: I've always been very happy that the way that I see myself as a youngster, I was absolutely interested in what I was doing as opposed to just tossing it off or what have you Uh, because most of the songs that I sang had high notes in them. It was always a matter of doing the job at hand as opposed to being concerned at all about where I was and who was listening and who was watching. It was all about trying to sing this damn high note, awfully good, and that was all that I cared about. And I think that most people, and over the years I've spoken to some of my people that I admire so much musically, And they sort of felt the same way. They were so interested and so completely, you know, engrossed in what they were doing, that they had to be, that they didn't worry too much about anything, the presentation or the performance, other than you've done it a thousand times and let's do it really good this time.
1: Chances are, cause I wear a silly grin, the moment you come into view, chances are you think that I'm in love with you. It
0: seems like the only approval you cared about was from
1: small business owners. This one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one of a kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do or die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. into a springboard for success. Listen to the Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com/business/podcast. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024. JP Morgan Chase & Co.
3: This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like... ah, who was a musician himself. And I was wondering, you know, in 1974, he passed away. And you've said that our family was a little reserved in our emotions. Do you feel less reserved about your emotions and his passing these days?
4: I do tend to mention my parents as often as I can or do because, believe me, a thousand percent, they were with me every minute of every hour of every day of every month, every year that I spent from the time I was a little baby until I was on Ed Sullivan's show. They were there simply because our tiny little house, there was no room to do anything. Everybody was very close to everybody. But also they were very, very interested in me, not only as a child, but what I was doing. So I had someone to talk to uh, from the time I was very small. So my mom and my dad, to me, at this time in my life are still very, 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 very important in my thoughts constantly because I have, I was away from them at a very early age and I had to fantasize about them because they were my best pals. And so it's it's still that way even though they've been long gone, I still have the closeness with them. They were wonderful, wonderful human beings. Seven children working on domestic wages and supporting all of us. We never felt wanted for anything. Living with my mom and my dad, it was like living with two of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life.
0: Is there a song that your father would say, Oh, God, I love when you sing that song. I love when you do that song.
4: No, but the only song that I remember my father singing was Molly and Me and Baby Makes Three. We're happy in my blue heaven. He sang that constantly.
0: Do you like singing that one?
4: No. it has <laughs> no high notes. I'm very proud of my high notes.
0: It's a tough song. It's, it's, it has a lot of swing. But, there are, yeah, there are no high notes in it.
3: <laughs>
0: what are those songs that make you, I don't know, they activate your spirit in some way?
4: The one song that I love to sing, it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids and belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most... Uh, songs like that. I just love them. And I can sing them because I have a captured audience. People, oh, I like that, but unless you have a captured audience, you can't get away with singing just anything, I guess. I don't know, because <laughs> I've been lucky in that respect. The thing I grew up listening to were great singers, uh, like, I don't know whether I mentioned Mabel Musser or Ella uh, Fitzgerald or Lena Horn or uh, most of my favorite singers were ladies because they had bigger vocal ranges, I think, than the men did. Uh, But Nat Cole was a a great genius. Uh, Billy Eckstein. So many more that I can't mention right now. Over the years, I've met all these, all my great, great inspirations, singing inspirations. And uh, the one person who comes to mind all the time is Mabel, Mabel Mercer who most people aren't aware of. They don't even know who she is. But she only became famous in later life when she was a little older. And she had a very small vocal range. And she sang very quietly, uh, not loudly. And uh, she sang only for selected audiences because the songs that she sang, most people had never heard them before. When I left San Francisco and went to New York, the first engagement that I had in a nightclub was called the Blue Angel. And Mabel Mercer was was almost the house musician at the Blue Angel in New York. She was uh, very well known by a very selected people who loved sophisticated songs, and that's what Mabel sang.
1: Everything Tuesday,
4: Thursday time heals everything. April, August. If I'm patient, the break will mend, and one fine morning the hurt will end. So make the moments fly, autumn, winter. I'll forget you my next year, some year Though it's hell that I'm going through Some Tuesday, Thursday, April, August, Autumn, Winter Next year, some year Time heals everything Time heals everything but loving I grew to love her and her music so much so that it, it influenced over the years a great deal of what I sang. I chose songs that I thought people might be interested in lyrically as opposed to just musically. Because most of the times when you hear the popular songs of the day on the hit parade, it's music that you listen to and not so much lyrics. But I was fascinated and enthralled, and still am, uh, by Mabel Musser and all of the, uh, the songs that I learned listening to her. <laughs> uh, would you hold on a minute? My doorbell's ringing. Um, see if the lady is here yet. But anyway, it's not very far, and I'm walking to it now. Okay. And uh, we'll see if, uh, if there's a boogeyman at the door. Hopefully not.
0: I suppose if there is, we're going to have a recording of it.
4: <laughs> hey, good looking. It's the pool, man. I have a a pool in my house with fish in it.
0: Thank you, babe. With fish in it?
4: Good. Thank you very much. Okay, we're
0: back. There's fish in the pool?
4: <laughs> well, I have Two fish tanks, but no, there's no fish in the pool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said this is this is a pool where there's fish in it, and I thought so. Fish are in there, but people don't swim in there. I was very confused.
4: <laughs> well, I got two fish pools on the side of the wall, and I got a big swimming pool in my living room. Yeah.
0: No, oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. How, can I can I ask you? So, is it John or Johnny? What do you? What should I call? John. Okay, John. Well, I apologize for saying Johnny earlier.
4: No problem. Everybody says Johnny.
0: Well, John, I'm wondering, how have you stayed this joyous?
4: I love what I'm doing, and I try to find people who like what they're doing. And I don't expect anything other than friendship from my friends. I do have a tendency to spend a lot of time alone, and I fantasize a lot about not only what I do, but what I've done. And I remember some of the most wonderful human beings I ever met in my life, and I try to emulate them. People like Mabel Mercer, and you know, just great people. They don't have to be famous, but there are people that I've met along the way. Some of them are famous, but most of them are just people that I admired. And since I do what I do, I emulate them, and it makes me feel good. I know that I'm emulating them, but it's fun, and it's what I love about them. Also, I try to make sure that I don't get down and remorse. Almost all of my brothers and sisters and my mom and my dad are dead. But I still have all that wonderful joy de vie that we had when we were all together. And I don't want to lose it. And so I, I keep it, but I have so much going on in my life, if you can imagine, trying to not go on stage and sing the same songs all the time, trying to make sure that I don't do anything in my daily routine to ruin what God gave me, a lovely voice that people like to hear. And I also don't want to bore people by singing the same old song all the time, so I love learning new songs, and that in itself is a lifetime's ambition. (laughs) I love what I do, and I would die if I couldn't do
0: it. Do you think your love of music is more important than your love of falling in love?
4: I think my love of music, how can I put it, It gives me a way of measuring how much I love my friends, my acquaintances. And I try to emulate the love that I have for my music with all of these other things in my life. And it's kind of fun to try to elevate your livelihood, your friendships, your situations in life. Elevate them to where they really should be because we do get a little bit bored doing the same thing over and over again seeing the same people in the same house and the same cars. But I get a kick out of making it a little bit important. I find myself kind of in a, a nice frame of mind uh, almost all the time.
0: Your music has been the soundtrack to many people falling in love but i do wonder have you fallen in love easily in your life
4: <laughs> about 56 times
0: oh my god
4: yeah i'm absolutely over head over heels in love with people and different situations different songs but It's always in passing, it's never a stop. There's songs to be sung, places to go, things to do. You can't just light like a, a bird would on a wing, on a tree, on a limb, on a tree. You can't do that. You have to love it and leave it and go on.
0: So you've never stuck around.
4: I've never stuck around, I've never married, I've never lost friends that I've had from the time they were just kids, except when they died. All of my friends that I had when I was 20 years old, I still got if they're still alive. It's not something that I think about. It's just the way I am. I don't want to lose anything.
0: But you don't want to keep anything for too long.
4: It's not up to me, it's up to the situation. It happens, it happens. I don't overburden myself with the fact that I'm going to lose something that I love. I just go on, as so many people do in life. Sometimes they only have one thing or two things that they love, and they lose that, and yet they go on. And I I have so much in my life and mostly, it's not a matter of losing. I never feel myself that I lose things, even when people die. I remember them. I treasure things that I've learned from them. But they're also acquaintances that I've made in my athletics. I was president of the student body when I was in junior high school, in high school. I met all kinds of great people that I still remember. You just, Collect and collect and collect and never throw away. People tell me all the time about performances that they have witnessed over the years that I've done and how much it meant to them. It's just overwhelming. So I bust my butt to make sure that I don't do anything to erase the image or to erase the actuality of who I am, what I do, and why I do it. It's so important to remember that basically and fundamentally you're given a gift that people enjoy and don't take it away.
0: John Mathis, thank you for the gifts, thank you for the songs, and thank you for talking with me.
4: All right, sweetheart, thank you.
0: Please stay safe.
4: Bye-bye. Look
1: at me, I'm as helpless as a kitten up a tree.
4: And I feel
1: like I'm clinging to a cloud I can't understand. I get misty
3: just holding your hand.
0: And that's our show. Special thanks this week to Amy Farrell and Robert Scott. I'd also like to thank Mr. Johnny Mathis. To learn more about him, you can visit our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. If you're interested in other conversations with legends, I'd recommend our talks with Pam Greer, Carol Burnett, Alan Alda, Norman Lear, Dolores Huerta, Gloria Steinem, and Brendan Wood. You can find all of those episodes and more on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you do your listening. If you'd like to join our mailing list, you can drop me a line at talkeasypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod. And as always, this show is made possible by our incredible team. Our executive producer is Chinixa Bravo. Illustrations by Krisha Shanoy. Our associate producer is Nikki Spina, our lead editor is Andre Lynn. our managing editor is David Harding, our assistant editors are Joshua Siegel and Kevin Kaur, music by Dylan Peck, our interns are Caitlin Dryden, Claire Hardwick, Jilly Harold, Patrice Lee, and Grace Perkins. Video and graphics by Derek Gaberzak, Ian Jones, Ethan Seneca, and Orion Huang. And the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fergoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We'll be back Sunday with activist and educator Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Until then, stay safe and so long.